The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, Visit MagnaGrip.com. Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. Hey, gang, it's Eddie Buchanan with the Fire Service Data and Tech Talk on Fire Engineering. We're here for the last episode of 2023, and which means FDIC 24 is coming soon, FDIC International. So if you haven't registered for that, you certainly want to go check that out, FDIC.com. Uh, I'm doing a, a workshop there this year called Operationalizing Data in the Fire Service. It's a four-hour workshop uh, where we're going to talk about uh, – it's, it's really an interesting thing because we, I don't know who's going to be in the class yet, right? I might have any level of experience. So we're going to start with a level – kind of to level the playing field in that workshop. We're going to talk about uh, sources of data, what, what types of data. We're going to get into all that, uh, and then we'll start moving into some of the more advanced topics. So – You'll have the opportunity, no matter your skill set, we'll find it, we'll get you straight. We'll make sure that you're able to participate in that workshop. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, data beyond up, up to the air break and beyond the air break. So uh, it should be an interesting conversation. I look forward to seeing you there. So FDIC.com, make sure you go get uh, registered soon because housing and, and all that and classes fill up. Uh, and if you're waiting on that money to turn green in January, just make sure you're doing it the first week right there. So we'll hope to see you in Indianapolis in April. The other thing I wanted to mention uh, right off the bat is the NARIS data standard released. Uh, this is airing in December of 23. So it just released yesterday. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, I would really encourage you to go take a look. I think they did a really good job for version one, first right out of the gate. Uh you go over to fsri.org and look under their programs, and you'll see the NARIS uh, tab there. Go look at that. They've got a webinar on how fire departments can prepare for NARIS when that co uh, comes out in the next year or so. Uh, things like getting your G GIS information straight, getting your CAD data straight. And then look into the specific data standard. You can download it take a look at it. It's, it's like Excel workbooks that you can look at. There's uh, three of them, I believe. They look at uh, fire department specifications of how to classify your fire department they're looking at standardizing unit and call typing, which will be uh, awesome because uh, many fire departments do it a lot of different ways. To have some sort of common language will be fantastic. And then also looking at how it involves uh, CAD. So uh, if, you're, if, if your fire department owns your CAD, your 911 center, that's great. You want to make sure your uh, 911 director is part of this conversation. If you're in a fire department where you don't necessarily own your 911 center and your CAD, you want to start talking to those folks now because it might take a few minutes for them to start paying attention. So get those conversations started early. But head over to FSRI.org and look under their programs tab and get more information on that. Now, this, this month's uh, conversation is going to be really more about technology and tactics. 
Uh, we A lot of the episodes have focused on data specifically, but I saw something the other day that really kind of caught my eye. And that, that doesn't happen a lot uh, when I'm walking around the exhibit floor, uh, just from being around them so much. You know, I've been around, seldom do I see something new, but I saw something that uh, really kind of caught my attention. It was at uh, TSI, Technology Summit International in Irving, Texas, a couple of weeks ago. I had seen this uh, company before. I had seen these products, these, this, uh, this equipment, and I'd walked right by it, quite honestly. And, uh, you know, I try to think of myself as a kind of progressive tactics person. I'm always looking at what's next and what's coming down range. But I had walked past this stuff, you know, for a year or two uh, prior to this, and I had never really stopped and understood what it was. And it was through conversations at TSI that I really dug into what what's going on and what this equipment was. And it kind of blew me away because the ramifications of this are fairly significant. So my first question was, who who is using this stuff right now? Because I want to talk to them and understand uh, how it works, how, how fire departments are applying this technology and how does that influence uh, tactics, uh, standard operating guidelines, how does it influence staffing, uh, which I think in the future, it, it really could have some significant impact. So I've hunted down some, some fire chiefs who were uh, kind enough to join us on the show today to tell us how they're actually using this technology, and we'll get, we'll, we'll get into it in some detail. So I want to introduce, uh, first I'll introduce uh, Chief uh, uh, Kurt Nass. Am I saying it right, Nass or Nass? You got it. Nass is good. Nass is how it goes. Kurt, Chief Nass. So, Chief, tell us uh, where you're from and a little bit about your fire department. Like, what type of fire department are you? And describe a little bit about the technology. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's just start there because I want to go around the horn. Tell me about uh, your fire department and what, where you are and, and kind of the structure, like the makeup of your fire department. Gotcha. I'm uh, about an hour north of Detroit in Hadley Township, Michigan. We're a bedroom community, no industry I have two state parks, uh, cover 36 square miles, a uh, lot of wooded areas, rolling hills, small farms, uh, population of just under 5,000. And we run about two, between 270 and 300 runs a year, and that includes medicals. Okay, so that's it. How, your career volunteer, how does that work all, out? All paper call volunteer. All paper card. Very good. Um, and also joining us today is, uh, I'm not, I, I can't get these names right. Chief Heyer? Heyer? Heyer. Say yep, it, Chief? That's it. Heyer. Well, welcome, Chief. Tell us about, uh, you know, the same thing. What type of department you're, you're from and kind of what your community is like there? Uh, we're a combination department. So we have two staff stations, 24, um, 24 paid guys, and then um, probably about that many volunteers, uh, cover 163 square miles, a couple of towns, and then a lot of rural area also. So a, a population okay. of about 40,000 people. How many, would you, how many fires do you think you're getting into each year? Um, around 300. Okay. Good number. Yeah. So, um, Chief Nass, tell us, give us the rundown. Tell me, describe what this this technology is, from the pump to the nozzle to the tablet. Kind of walk us around the block and explain just what the heck is this thing? Well, basically, it's an interface that 
replaces everything that you grew up on and everybody else is, you know, aware of. Uh, I think it's basically the new way of running a fire truck. Um, everybody has a smartphone, computer, social media, everything. It's just updating the fire truck interface. Uh, now you have eliminated basically all the crazy dials and levers and everything like that and just put it in a in an interface that's probably familiar uh, for today's firefighter. So I'm looking at the picture behind you, and I notice when I look at that pump panel, the first thing that jumps out at me is I don't see any levers on it. Yep. I see discharges. Yep. <laughs> and I see intakes, but I don't see any levers. Yep. It's all on the all on the SAM computer interface. Okay. And is it, it I understand there's like a nozzle that goes with this thing? That's correct. I believe I have the first one in the world. I have the the beta version um, of the smart nozzle. And what that allows you to do, um, it happened to be a straight bore. Uh, it would have been nicer to get the combo, but I think somebody else got that after me. Um, what it does is it allows for one that has ever pulled a two and a half inch or even inch and three quarter up a stairwell charged. Um, this thing is pretty awesome. You run to where you need to go with the nozzle, uh, not charged hose, so you can maneuver it to wherever you need to be easily. Uh, two, two personnel, that's all it's going to take to get where you need to be. And then you charge the line yourself, uh, pressing two buttons simultaneously for three seconds, and you'll charge the line. So if you get into, uh, it eliminates extra radio traffic to charge the line. Uh, you're in place when you want the uh, when you want the water, and then the additional thing to the smart nozzle is it gives you a color cue. So when you're running off your your engine, uh, green, it's your full tank. I think it turns to orange, yellow, uh, you get down to a half a tank. It turns to red when you're down to a quarter tank. And when it, it recognizes when you're actually catching a hydrant or, or drafting, it turns to blue. So the nozzle person is always aware of the, the water situation. That's it in a nutshell. Okay. So, uh, Chief Hire, what are you guys using? You guys, I understand you're not using the nozzle. You're using mostly the pump technology. We're right? using the pump technology, and then uh, we use a tablet for the pump operator to make let them be mobile. So the the first thing when I, I I'm old, right? right. <laughs> I'm kind of an older fella. So I like I'm, of the days we used to joke that we could roll up underneath the fire truck and take a mallet, get that sucker to go in gear if we had to, right? Like it's it's old school. Uh, there, there is, I would expect to be some apprehension in the fire service about such technology uh, being reliable. Like if this thing doesn't work, what the heck do we do? I can't, I can't hit it and make it better. So, uh, what do you? What is, I'd like to hear from both of you what your opinion is to to that uh, kind of predictable response. I think firefighters all kind of we, we all kind of have that same initial uh, caution that if this thing doesn't work, what do I do? So, uh, how, what's your experience like? What's your what's your opinion on that? 
whichever one of you want to chew okay. on that first. This is my biggest argument, uh, especially with city guys who have been around for years and have fought thousands of fires to my hundreds. And uh, I ask them what do they do when their fire truck goes down. And usually I can tell if you're a good engineer or not an engineer, they'll say call another apparatus or whatever. I'm like, you can't run your truck with a 7 wrench. I can. Same technology. Um, it still has all the same fittings to open up the nozzles and open up the, the valves. 7 wrench. They're uh, Velcroed right on the inside of my panel, just like the rest of my apparatus. Too higher. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with what he said. Um, I so there's a screen on the driver's side. There's a screen on the passenger side. Those are independent. I have had a screen failure, and I mean it was just as simple as hey, we walk around to the other side of the truck and run this truck from the other side. Um, if one of those would go out. So um, really you're, you're redundant there or you're going to move to another truck the same as if you, I mean, I've had pumps not operate when everything's manual and you just took another truck to it and pump through it and go on. That's how we've always done it. So when I was talking to the team at TSI, they, uh, they made an analogy that I found to be pretty profound, right? They, they said, uh, you know, we all flew to Dallas on aircraft and they, he was saying, when do you experience the most turbulence? And we were saying, well, typically during takeoff and landing. And then once you get a cruise altitude, it's pretty, it's pretty smooth. And he said, that's because that's when the computer's flying the plane. <laughs> it's when the human, when the humans are running the plane, that's when you start getting the bumps, right? Things start getting weird. And uh, that, that kind of that, that resonated with me because, you know, I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I'll, I'll get on an airplane. We'll think anything of that thing flying on a computer. Uh, why should I be so concerned about the same thing with the, with the pumper? The issue is certainly it can be bad. The, the issue is, is the, your apparatus is already computer run. Unless you have apparatus mm -hmm. from the seventies or eighties, it's already running on computers and, and stuff. You're, you know, we have a VMUX, system on our Spartan chassis and it's all computerized and everybody else's apparatus is computerized in the last 20 years too. So um, it's already there and it already runs. So they're just using it, the technology in a different facet. Most, most so what, technology on it is from 2001, 2002. That's so, I mean, it's, it's not like it's brand new technology that just came out. It's been out, it's been used in fire trucks and it works. And I watch, how are you seeing, uh, do you see a difference in the generational uh, firefighters? Like I noticed watching them operate this thing, there's drag and drop type of, uh, hand maneuvers they're doing on their it's like it's, what do you call them gestures they call it in the yep just a swipe it, you're swiping things open and closed and and like that my my gut reaction is that that's probably more intuitive for the younger crowd right Would you, but or do you see any generational issues with that like do the, do the older guys get it younger not have trouble getting it younger guys get it easier you see any of that here's my story is is my my truck is, I think, IDEX is first. So I've had it for, oh, be five-year anniversary next year. 
And when it was built, it was delivered. Um, IDEX, uh, their Sam guy was in Wisconsin. We took delivery on our apparatus. He was a week away and he's like, just run it. And we did. We had it in service in 10 minutes. It was that quick. And one of my captains who's been around for 35 years said he felt like he was the horse watching the first car drive by. That's how impressive it was. So actually any any restraint on the, the guys who've been around for a long time, um, they were the actually the first to kind of embrace it. They were they were shell shocked. They couldn't believe it, how it could be that easy. And at, at, at the time, they, they thought, oh, my gosh, you don't need us anymore. But actually, over time, we've discovered that um, you're a better engineer. Um, I can have a guy on a, that's been on two or three years, and I will put him as a better engineer than any city fireman that's been running a truck for 20 years. No contest, zero, because I have hard factual data in front of my face with that interface. And that's usually what starts the fight. Yeah, that's the other point, I guess, is that it's recording. Right. So this thing's capturing data as it as the fire progresses, which is uh, something that I certainly want to talk about as well. Walk me through a fire. Um, Chief Hire, tell me, like, walk me through. Uh, we've been dispatched to a structure fire. We're going to be first due, first in. Kind of walk me through what that's like for you using this technology. Uh, so the basics of it is it's just doing two or three steps. So I'll use, for instance, yeah, you pull up, set the air brake, you engage the pump. Well, as soon as you engage the pump, it's also going to start all the processes. So it's going to start your recirculate it's going to start everything all the process is moving so i engage the pump and then i just go swipe what discharge i want to do that's all i have to do to initiate fire attack so things like uh opening tank to pump depending on where you are too like if you're in a colder part of the country there's probably running a dry pump you got to open a tank to pump get things going circulated all that stuff's automated it's, huh? it's going to do all that for you all that's going to be happening. Amazing. As soon as you engage the pump, all that's going to happen. You literally just going to have to choose what discharge that you want water to come out of. Okay. The chief, is it any different for you? I know you guys have the nozzle uh, up there, uh, Chief Nass. How, how is that different for you? Um, it's, uh, it's exactly as the chief explained. Um, everything, you've eliminated a few steps. Um, you really don't have to think about it. Uh, when it really comes in handy is when you either pull that hydrant or where we exclusively draft here, uh, where I'm at, and it recognizes automatically that you've used water from your tank, and it automatically says, mm -hmm. I'm going to fill it. It fills it, and when it gets full, it stops filling. Um, you don't have any water loss or wasted water, you know, overflowing, that type of thing. Um, which is a benefit to us who draft. It uh, it it's just amazing. You couple it with the tap uh, the tablet, and instantly, I can grab on a tablet uh, during the day. I might have two or three firefighters available, 
I can take them right up to a door with the tablet, charge their line, set the pressure, you know, make sure it's not too much, not too little, um, direct them where I want them to go, um, and actually knock down a fire before assisting departments or the rest of the crew arrive. So that's been the greatest benefit to us. Just the limited resources. I think I saw a graphic, NFPA takes 14 or 17 people on the fire ground, and we don't get that. It's three on the fire ground initially, four, if we're lucky. So a couple of important points there I want to visit with. Um, the drafting. So how does it, like, how does the primer work? Like, uh, does it automate the primer, or is, does that require, what's that like? Yes, yeah, it's so a simple button. Yep, you just push a button. So, uh, so build this slide. What's, what's different is I grew up on front mount pumps back in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, everything was right there. And that's where I love front mount pumps. And that's my comfort zone. So everything was right there. And, and you, could, you could work with it. There was nothing electronic about it. It was great. With this system, back then you could you could finesse going from your tank to a draft. Um, with the electronics uh, from Hale, we have another apparatus that has a Hale pump that's newer, 2004. Uh, because of the electronic um, checks in the system, you could no longer feather going from a draft uh, where you had firefighters on the nozzle inside. You'd have to warn them, alert them, hey, there's going to be a eight second, five second, 10 second shutdown, um, or pull them out to get the draft uh, just to make sure they weren't stuck without uh, a charged hose line. Now it's all automatic. You just, your guys go in, they're fighting fire, you pull a draft, you just hit a button and it's done. You, you don't do anything. You just, it pulls the charge and you hardly notice a change in, in uh, pressure on the line. And that's what takes me back uh, to the, the front mount pump system where you were able to feather that. And higher, are you seeing Chief Hire, you seeing the same thing uh, from your experience? Yeah. Um, and so what it does is it'll pull that, it pulls all the water all the way up to the intake. And until it sees water at the intake and it's blood all the air out of it, it won't open that intake valve. So as soon as it sees water there, it opens the intake valve. And like Chief said, um, you you never see any results at the end of the line. It just maintains that. So um, the draft works really good because that, that was always a tough thing. We just didn't draft enough to have people really good at it. We had a few guys that were good at it, but not everyone were. This just, it's really no different than running off the hydrant. Well, that's what I was thinking, you know, as, as an old training guy, that the, the the person that could draft, it's kind of the maestro, you know, it's like, it was right. like this art form of pulling a draft. And it sounds like now that it's, uh, it, it's, it's just consistent and it's not that difficult of a task anymore with this technology. Yep. And it does the same thing on the hydrant. Um, I can have my, if my engineer um, goes and hooks up to the hydrant, they swipe over that they're going to go hook to the hydrant. When they walk to the hydrant, turn the hydrant on, as soon as it sees water from the hydrant, it switches from, tank water over to the hydrant. So that it maintains a full tank. Yep. 
over the fire. Yep. And it and it. I heard that you say that it doesn't overfill the tank. It, absolutely, it, yes. It's kind of like a gas pump. Um, we've you can override the the amount of water coming in and um, manually, and you can adjust that. But like your gas pump, how it slows down right when it gets to the last few cents. That's what it does. It it doesn't allow you just to, it'll it'll wind down at the end. So you're not receiving too much water. That's remarkable. That that solves a lot of problems. <laughs> you know, from the from training to uh, if you're in a colder environment where if you dump a you have an overfill on a on a pumper, which is almost all the time happens almost all the time. I don't care how good you are. Uh, dumping water all over the street can make things pretty exciting for a work environment. So it solves that problem as well. On my end, the, that's, most that's, of the roads are gravel roads and winter fires. Uh, if you're working a good fire, you'll create a pothole under that truck, and that really is eliminated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amazing. This is, tell me about the tablet. So it's not just that uh, the panel that I see behind you on the actual pump panel, on both sides of the pump panel, there's actually a tablet where I can go wireless and walk around, right? Correct. So what... What, walk me through that thing. What it is, is the tablet is actually an extension of our driver's side screen. Um, so the two, the two tablet or the two screen interfaces on both tr sides of the truck uh, are completely independent. If one goes down, uh, the other one will operate. We've never had uh, five years, almost five years now, we've never had anything go down yet. Uh, so... It's not like a third uh, check. Uh, you know, if the two go down, you have the, the tablet. Uh, you can walk around. When I get on and I need firefighters, I'll grab the tablet, send them, pack them up, send them to a line, and I'll do a 360. I'll do my 360 with the tablet in hand and charge the lines and basically run the truck as I'm doing my 360. So that's really the benefit. Uh, I don't have to stand next to the truck to run the truck. What's the range on that tablet? It's a long way. We, uh, yeah. we, I, we were the first to have a tablet, I believe, and it was 200 feet until they added some updates and added an antenna. And actually our antenna we discovered was uh, installed too low into the into the apparatus, uh, so we got that at a higher location. Um, now it's if you're that far from the apparatus, you're fighting somebody else's fire. It's a long way. That's great. It's a wrong incident, man. That's fantastic, Chief. Higher, uh, what do you? So you guys, um, additionally, are you walking with that tablet pretty far? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we've had it out to about 1,500 feet um, and been working it. And what, so we have four trucks with Sam on it. And I'd say the one thing that we can do is if I need manpower, I can have one guy, I've had one guy running three trucks. So the engineer might just bring the tablet over for his truck and hand it off and, you can have one guy run in three trucks and then I can take my manpower up there to fight fire. Man, I hadn't even thought about that. 
that you could have multiple you could have one person running multiple apparatus. Yeah. What are the what are the the, my f- next thought was, what's the downside of that? What are the risks? Well, uh, <laughs> you definitely need to mark your tablets so you know what trucks, you know, that he's doing. And it, if you run into some kind of a problem, it can be a little bit taxing on one guy. So I'm not saying it's the answer for everyday use. But if you get into a situation where you need manpower, um, it is certainly a possibility and easily done. So the, the the logical question to me, I, I came up as a volunteer and then was in a combination fire department. Uh, and where we, even in, on the career side of the house, we operate with minimum of three staff, three person staffing. I'm curious to hear both of you, how has how it influenced uh, your kind of standard operating guidelines or how you, how is the pump operator's job different on a fire ground uh, and are, what efficiencies are you finding? How are you taking advantage of this technology uh, from a tactical perspective? Well, we're, so we're Whichever a four-man okay. four normal truck, three-man minimum staffing. So, yeah, uh, it allows that pump operator to be able to help. Like if I'm the captain, I come off the truck and do my 360 and all that, um, the pump operator can help stretch the hose line, you know, be at the front door, um, go and hook to the hydrant, like I said, because you can, you know, if he takes a tablet, as whenever we call for water, that's ready to go, and then he can open it up and take water from the hydrant as soon as he gets that open. So um, the pump operator is just able to do a lot more functions um, without being tied right to that pump panel. Yeah, Chief, how about you? How what what are you doing from a tactical perspective with this? It's become just standard standard operating that whoever's running the truck is we've eliminated probably two personnel. They have the tablet in hand. They're delivering tools, laying out uh, tool tarps, uh, SCBA tarps, that type of thing. It just opens up everything. It's you've eliminated you're basically eliminating a couple personnel that you, that you needed before they can, you know, do the tasks that, that uh, tasks of three, three personnel and still be right on top of everything. Um, all that information is right there in the tablet, uh, your tank, uh, how it's doing everything, uh, your individual lines, uh, and they are individual. You can have one line at 35 PSI, one line at 145, one at 175. They're all independent of one another. And when somebody shuts down one line, they don't spike the other two lines. It's really, really incredible. It's a good question. How does it manage uh, things like water hammers and, you know, uh, less than ideal nozzle movement? How, how is it dealing with that? Or does it? Oh, it does. Uh, here, here's one situation where I think it pretty well spells out uh, the entire process or how the system is beneficial. Uh, a couple years ago, I had a fatal, our first fatal in 85 years, uh, civilian. And it was indicated that the, the gentleman uh, perished due to smoke inhalation before we were even en route. But upon getting there, 75% of the, the 
home was involved in the 25%, the bedroom that wasn't on fire, that's where the gentleman was. And we knew he was in there. What was odd was the fire was in December, three o'clock in the morning where I'm going to get a full crew. And for whatever reason, that day, everybody was out of town. Uh, I got on scene first and my my SAM apparatus, my frontline engine called him route. And I thought to myself, that's weird. I got a guy that's driving the truck that's two years. And then they arrive and I have five guys in my truck and a couple of them are two years. I got a three-year guy and I have two rookies, one probationary and another rookie. I'm thinking, holy smokes, no officers, no, what do I do? So I pulled, I pulled uh, one of my guys, the probationary guy, right to the, right to the front of the house. I said, All, everything on this side of the house is on fire. Don't worry about it. Charged his line, got him to a pressure. He put a fog to protect the, the room from the other side of the room from fire. Grabbed the other rookie, pulled him around. He had his own line, got him set up, gave him instructions charged his line right next to him, gave him the pressure he needed. And the other two, or the other three, uh, I sent them in with a line to protect from the inside of that bedroom until we could get more to extricate the gentleman. Uh, gentleman was uh, almost 300 pounds and, and uh, it was a hoarding situation where, you know, we weren't going to get him out without additional additional help. But uh, in the meantime, I was able to basically run those three lines, uh, waiting for assisting departments. I pulled a portable monitor myself, got it in position, fired it up, and left it. And that kept the, the flames down or the heat down uh, so we could manage the scene. And all from so a the commander. You were the incident commander, the pump operator, and the training officer all at the same Everything. time. Everything, yes. All at the same time <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's amazing. And I will let so, you know the, the, the family was extremely appreciative of having an open casket funeral. Guy wasn't damaged, yeah, sure. no yeah. heat damage, no smoke damage other than the inhalation he suffered. So... How is this, um, boy? I, I, in your states, how do they? How do you certify pump operators? Is there a state certification where you guys are? Ours is department states. by department by department. Whatever, whatever jurisdiction feels comfortable. Um, my department uh, has always been this way, at least since the the dawning of our our department. Our regular trucks from since the fifties, we train our guys from the pump out to the nozzle instead of the nozzle back to the pump. So everybody knows how to run a, a truck when they get on. We do. We do. Well, I mean, it's, go ahead, chief. Missouri does have state certification that we try to put all of our guys through. Um, it's not mandatory, but that is what we use, but it is going to change. Um, you know, there's just a lot of steps that this technology takes care of that when you're doing your practical testing, 
Um, we found out that that uh, the evaluators realized that this system takes care of so much that there wasn't a whole lot to evaluate. Um, so our evaluations went very quickly. Yeah, most of the things you would test, it's automated. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, what do you, that's why I was wondering uh, how to even, like, gosh, in my brain, from a training perspective, I'm wondering, do I now want to, I mean, you could tell me what you've done. Have you, like, separated the driving function from the pump operator function? Like, it used to be, you know, in some, some of the fire departments, that's a promotion to be, uh, you know, a, a DPO, pump operator, a chauffeur, uh, all the various terms we have for it. Um, that's that's actually a promotion, but it sounds like in your use cases, driving the rig is not necessarily attached to operating the rig. Does that make sense? Right, and that is the way our uh, testing is done. Also, is uh, you have core, which is your driving, and then you know we have pumper and mobile water supply, and then aerial. I mean the. I don't know. It's, it's like I like what you said, uh, uh, Chief Nass. You said you work from the pump to the nozzle instead of the nozzle to the pump. So to explain that more. Give me a little more detail around that. So due to our manpower, which has always been an issue, um, I'm a firehouse brat. I grew up and my, my dad was a chief of our department back in the 80s. Um, it was a farming community back then. And Whoever, whatever farmer gets out of the field first or um, gets down to the gets down to the station, they're pulling um, apparatus, the front line. Um, I got on the department in '89, and day one, I was driving. And in our department's always been the driver runs the pump until they're relieved uh, by somebody with more experience um, or chain of command. And uh, so when we get on, we, we get our new firefighters on, they learn right from the pump. They learn how to draft. Uh, they may not even see a fire ground their first few fires. Uh, they're back at a draft site. Um, they completely understand um, tanker shuttles, uh, where your water comes from, how it's delivered, uh, what manner uh, before they ever get to the end of a nozzle. And that's best case scenario because with manpower, sometimes they're going to be on the end of a nozzle or supporting whoever's on the nozzle. What, um, how do you see this operating in a, in a large Metro department? Let's, you know, any major city, just, just from like a vision kind of standpoint, visionary sort of stuff. What, what impacts do you think this would have in a major Metro city? related to tactics and staffing. How would you see that playing out? Either one of you could take a swing at that one. I think ahead, I mean, once once they start using it, I, I don't I don't see anything uh, that would hinder I just don't think it changes much um, from a rural setting to a city setting as far as that goes. Other than, you know, you're going to have, um, I think you can get, I, I really believe you get water on the fire quicker um, because you're just making 
all you're eliminating steps. Everything happens faster. Um, so I, I mean, it's just going to take some cities to embrace that there is some new technology that is working and um, use it. And I, I don't see any problems with it. And I, and in our in my experience on our department, the older guys probably bought into it faster than the younger guys. Um, you know, they just appreciated the fact that, hey, I don't have to um, think through all this and do all these manual activities. This truck's doing it for me. And they they love it. I mean, my older guys wouldn't, you know, their first thing is this is what I've been waiting my whole career for is for somebody to develop this. <laughs> Chief Nass, anything to add on that? You, you I'm, big city perspective? Uh, I can't speak on the big cities, but my my saying is, if you're not ordering this on your apparatus, I don't care who you are, you're doing a disservice to your firefighters, period. And I felt that way from day one, but now that I'm almost five years into it, um, now I really like to say that, and that angers a lot of people, but um, it angers chiefs around my jurisdiction, uh, you know, and I tell them, if you're not ordering this, then you're doing a disservice to your, your firefighters, period. It's that revolutionary, period. You can't make change without making them mad first. No. So, no. Um, you know, you're on the right path. I, uh, <laughs> we, we, we combine ours. Uh, I have a, I have a drone guy. I have a full-time firefighter that was on our department and actually lives across the street from the fire hall. And, and uh, when he's off duty, uh, he takes his drone and he'll usually beat us to a scene, but we've embraced the technology where I can see the thermal imaging of my house fire or structure fire. And in combination with the SAM system and thermal imaging above the structure, it's amazing what you can do and how quickly you can put out a fire where the, these are the times it's if you're not utilizing the technology you're fighting the same fire you did back in the 90s or the 80s or whatever um i put my fires out quicker um they're thorough uh just the combination of the the technology that's available is amazing out of curiosity what sort of maintenance sort of my pet peeves when i was uh on the job was I hate it. it. It would drive me nuts if I saw a pump operator like standing at 90 degrees, like Batman climbing a building, trying to get a valve open, you know, because they didn't maintain and keep those valves lubed, which uh, just drive me nuts. Does that have any bearing on this thing? Like, do we do you have to ensure that a certain maintenance level is maintained or, or this thing? How does it interact with that? What I'll I'll answer that. What's great about it and unknown. It was unknown to us. Uh, until actually a couple years after we had it, is it goes through a process sitting there at the station. Um, it opens each valve and closes each valve. And it does that every week. So, boom. <laughs> Can you believe that? It's sitting there and it, it goes through these processes. So, you don't have valves you normally wouldn't open on a normal basis sticking or getting that corrosion, that type of thing. So it's, it does that unbeknownst to us. It's running a maintenance cycle sitting in the fire. Correct. Yes. 
Good grief. All right. That's, that's remarkable. So I'm, I'm curious to know, um, with, with digital technology, typically comes uh, data and reporting. What is this rascal telling you guys, uh, the system? What, what are you learning from it? Surely it's, it's recording, uh, you know, whether it be time benchmarks or, or something. Is, is, does it give you any kind of data analysis or anything? Not that I know of, but it, it may. I'm sure they have some, something back at SAM that they're, they're figuring out, but not that, I, not that I really know of, but I will tell you this. It gives you a number that no other truck in the world does, and that's for, for drafting departments, that's the negative number. When you're pulling that draft, uh, our, when I say it makes you a better engineer, it makes you an expert engineer. And I'll go up against any engineer in the world, and I will beat them at their game. Because it gives you that negative number, it's exact, it's real time, um, I can do things that they can't do, things that they've relied on the sound of the engine, the RPMs. Um, I have four or five. Can you pull another line? That, that would be the great question, right? Four or five lines pulled, <laughs> and I'm running at uh, minus 1820, and I know my pump's going to cavitate at 23 or 22. It's sketchy depending on how cold it is or whatever. If I get a operations guy say, can we pull another line? I can smile and say yes, because I can tweak all my hose lines out there. And I can get that down to minus 15 with another line. And when they jump back up to minus 19, minus 20, they come to me and say, can I add another line? I smile and say, yes, I can add another line. I'll just open up another intake. I'll throw another draft on the other side. Now uh, I went from flowing 16, 1700 gallons a minute on my 1500 gallon a minute pump, I can flow 2400 gallons. Um, and I can get that down to minus 10, minus 12, where other departments would have never added two lines. They just would have cavitated the pump and start all over again. But there's things you can do with this system that you can't do with any other uh, pump in the world. And that's that exact negative number that it's showing you real time on that SAM system. So I amazing. It is recording some data too, and some data that you can see live um, that I've found interesting, like your water temperature. So it's going to give you a warning anytime that your pump water temperature gets warm, which we never knew before. You know, we burn up pumps with hot water all the time because we didn't know. Um, and it'll open up uh, additional valves to try to cool it off, but it gives you a warning. You, I can go on there and look and see how many times that I've had uh, an overheat, uh, t- water temperature overheat. You can look at the pump oil temperature. Um you can look at the life of your anodes, your pump anodes. You know, we not, I, I, before I've had pumps fail and they say, yeah, your anodes were completely gone. Well, we never knew anything about the pump anodes. Well, you can see the life of them uh, when they've gone bad. Uh, so it does give you a lot of, I think it gives you a lot of pump data. Uh, it gives you maintenance information. And I think it's gone, going to, 
uh, actually probably uh, increase the longevity of the pump just because it's not going to let you do some of the things that we did before. Amazing. Yeah, I would asked. Uh, that was one of my first questions when I was seeing this demonstrated was, like, is this thing recording? Is it capturing data points? And they said, yeah, it, it's capturing everything. It's just a matter of how does it output it, you know, and, and in what format would it output? So that's one of my uh, kind of pet peeves is data beyond the air brake because most of the metrics we study are related to response time. So we get, we get the dispatch, you know, the 911 call received all the way up to the air brake when we get on scene and that's when all the clocks stop, but that's just when all the tactics start. Right. So the technology is starting to evolve in such a way with this type of system from the nozzles to the, to the pumps that are actually recording information. Uh, that's, we're not there yet, but we're getting close to be able to automate some of these things. Looking at the nearest uh, data standard, they're asking for timestamps for, uh, you know, size up complete water on the fire. There were, there were two or three different tactical benchmarks related to fire suppression that this truck would could potentially know that uh, in an automated fashion, rather than having to be a radio call, uh, which I think would be pretty darn amazing. It'll, it'll, We're getting there. It, yeah, it, it knows it now, and it's just going to be the fact of us giving them feedback to let them know, hey, here's here's the information that we want to know back out of the truck. Right. There were there are a couple of things I saw at, at that conference that really, like I said, we're not there yet, but we're getting real darn close. Um, I saw technology related to firefighter location on an X, X, Y, and a Z axis you know, that we can not only track where you are on a horizontal plane, but we can also now go up the stairs with you and, and know where you are. I saw this technology related to capturing uh, the actual firefighting tactical information, the automation of, of, of the pump operations. I also saw uh, another piece of technology that was using uh, basically a virtual reality headset for incident command. And of course, Classic firefighter response. Our initial response to that is, my guys, they go wear that thing. It looks stupid standing out there. You know what I mean? It's it's like you can see that would I, I you know it's going to happen. It already ha- it already has. So, um, but what I think we're not understanding is when all these things come together, that if I'm looking firefighter location on a on a computer or on a tablet or whatever is one thing. If I have to look in my command in my command post over here and see it. But what if I can look at the building while it's on fire and I can see a, a pin of where my firefighters are inside the building? I'm looking at the building and it's literally saying, showing me they're on the second floor right there in that corner. And I can see them with the location system there. I can see what their hose line status is through the system that you guys are using. I can see if they're flowing. I can see what they're flowing, how long they've been flowing, how much have they flowed. I can see all that information. I can see all the other uh, data streams that are related to that from the building plans to the, you know, who knows, throw the kitchen sink in there, all in a heads up display. Uh, I think incident command will look a lot different in about 10 years than what it has his- historically. Couple that with, with thermal imaging. Tools. Yes, thermal image, getting that feedback from the firefighters themselves. So I can see what they see uh, from drones. We saw a lot of drone drone uh, information uh I thought for a long time, every battalion chief uh, vehicle in the world should have a drone sitting on the roof, you know, just straight up and, and give me a, ver- you know, a vertical look real quick. It's amazing what is possible 
over the next few years as we start to wrap this technology together. It should be pretty cool. One thing we haven't discussed is uh, the, the, the one item that gains the largest attention on when we're assisting another department or actually somebody's coming in and assisting us is uh, it talks too. So it announces over the fire ground, hose charging or SAM pump ready. It's, <laughs> it, it talks and it's pretty loud. So when you, when you hear that for the first time, it's pretty, wow, your fire truck talks. I wonder if that's programmable. <laughs> I'm just thinking all the silly things we'd have it say. Right. <laughs> yeah. Better hang on, son. Yeah. You know, things like but anyway. that. The, the whole, so the that whole is literally talking to you on the fire ground. The whole interface, which we really didn't talk about, um, it's completely customizable in saying that all my lines, I've named all my net lines, front bumper orange, uh, cross-lay red, cross-lay blue, light, um, passenger side intake, driver side. At 3 a.m., I don't know what an officer side is. I don't, at 3 a.m., I'm not thinking. So everything we renamed uh, specifically, um, you can program uh, each each line, uh, I have programmed where certain lines are, are cross lays, are pre-connects. They don't flow, over, they don't go over 200 PSI. Um, you, you program the pre-connects to the exact PSI you want. Um, when you program the smart nozzle, the, the smart nozzle is programmed to, to the exact pressure you want at the nozzle, not at the truck, but actually at the nozzle. Um, which is a huge difference if you're you're hitting a but button and you say go ahead charge the line you're going to get that pressure. Um, another thing is is you can't screw it up. You don't swipe something and go oh my gosh what did I just do? It always comes back and asks you yes or no. Do you want to do this? Um, so it's kind of foolproof, foolproof and completely customizable. Chief, you're using the uh, audible announcements on the on your system as well. Yeah, that's that like standard, standard as far as I know. And yeah, everybody gets used to it because it'll like it'll announce when you have draft established. It'll say draft established or hydrant established. It'll announce that. So I mean, pretty much everybody that's on the fire ground can hear those announcements whenever it happens. Mm -hmm. Water levels, I would assume. Does it does it hit benchmarks on your? It does take not hit benchmarks on the water level. Hmm. Okay. That would seem like you know, unless you're using the nozzle. If I got the nozzle, I can look yeah, at the nozzle and see. Yeah. I'm sure it's programmable. I'm sure they actually. It could probably announce that. My guess is, if you wanted that. Yeah. Yeah. I could see a half a tank. Or something. Foam's another thing that's programmable on there. So if you're using foam and you want that to come on automatically when you charge a line, you could program that into any line or you could have it where you select it separate. So you can basically program any hand line to do whatever you want to do with it ahead of time. So, I mean, we spent, we spent a day, I say, but really probably three or four hours setting a truck up to what we wanted all the pressures to run on the lines and whether we wanted foam or not programming, and then you're done. It's going to do the same thing every more. time, no matter who's operating the truck. 
on the FOMEM, we actually eliminated all the percentages and we we labeled it structure fire foam, car fire foam, uh, overhaul foam. So we set the percentages and just renamed it. So you really didn't have to think about what kind of foam you wanted, what what the percentage was. So what do you guys kind of a closing thought. What do you, what is your message to fire departments that run with three or four person engine companies that, you know, are going to be reluctant to want to look at technology like this? Uh, what, what is your like closing comments for them on uh, your opinion on what they should be like? What's your, what's your last shot at them? Go ahead, Alan. Uh, I, Really just try to get their hands on it at some point. I mean, once you get your hands on it, you use it, you see it, um, it, it sells itself. It doesn't need anything else. I had a, I had a department, um, of course, I've been at it, I think, the longest. So I've had, I've talked to chiefs all over the country. It used to be on a weekly basis. Now, uh, with so many SAM units out there, now I'm getting a call basically once a month from somebody somewhere. Uh, I get a lot of cold weather state call or cold weather state calls from chiefs uh, that are in cold weather states. And I've had a lot of departments out to my department and they've traveled quite a distance uh, to look at it. And they're sold immediately because we set it up and we don't tell them anything. We just say run it. I had a department specifically that was looking at our manufacturer here in, in uh, Michigan, our, our buildup as a Spencer manufacturing here in Michigan. And they were just going to purchase a Spencer unit. So they wanted to see one in action. And they weren't interested in Sam, but we had other ideas. They came and we said, just run it. And now they've got the Sam system on their apparatus. Uh, once once their guys started working it, they're like, we're not ordering a truck without this system. It's, it sells itself, just like Alan says. It, it's amazing. There are no... Plans. How much are we... What's the cost? I mean, are we, are we talking... We're talking about buying a pumper these days. You know, we're knocking on half a million dollars for the most part. How does this fit in the uh, cost structure? Is it something that's really incredibly expensive? Is it affordable? Uh, what, what are you seeing from, from both of your departments? Go ahead, Chief. I, I, <laughs> I think the affordability, I'm not sure what the, the cost, I think the cost um, has changed over over time. Um, I'm not quite sure where it is. It's, I don't think it's that much more expensive than, than uh, you know, getting a system where you can operate on both sides of the truck and then walk around. There, there's really nothing comparative um, other than the actual dollars. Um, that upgrade, um, I think, is eventually going to be standard on trucks. I, I believe as soon as 10, 10 years, this will be the only system you're going to be able to, to, to utilize. So I don't think the cost, the upgrade cost is significant enough not to have it when you're talking about a truck over 20 to 30 years of service. Chief, uh, you seen anything higher? Chief Hire, you seen anything related to cost? Do you have any sense of that? Um, 
I mean, and so it all depends on where you're starting at, you know, because um, a lot of the cost is in your electric valves, you know, because each one of the valves have to be electric versus manual valves. So, I mean, I know there's a pretty significant if you're going from a 100% manual truck, which we all know now, I mean, any, I think three inch or above valve has to be electric anyway, or something besides manual. Um, so it, I mean, there is some cost to it, but I mean, the cost benefit um, seems to outweigh what the cost is, but it all depends on where you're starting from. Um, you know, just the SAM control system, I don't think is that outrageous. Uh, maybe if you're talking about completely, you know, upgrading all your valves and all that, then it gets a little more significant. I still don't think it's probably um, very much considering the cost of a truck. Um, it, it, it's not hard to build a million dollar fire truck now, and it's not. You know, it's not very significant in that aspect. Right. Well, considering the, the tactical value of it, it's almost like adding a person. Right. Yeah. Which would be more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot more. No, you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I, that, I, mean, I would say it's probably less than a year's salary on an average firefighter. So. Well, Chief Hire and Nas, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show. Um I'm sure folks will be reaching out once once this hits the air. Um, I suspect there might be some controversy. At least I hope there will be because we should be talking about it. I've, I've been known to stir the pot in the past. I don't mind stirring it now. So I, I, I'm glad to put this conversation on the table about what we could do with this. I think it will make firefighters more efficient, uh, enhance our ability to save uh, our civilians' lives, and possibly even make our firefighters safer. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this technology. So thank you for uh, coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's an episode of this episode of Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. This is the last one for 2023. So I want to wish everybody a great holiday season and a happy new year. You can find us on uh, Facebook on Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. We have a page there. You can find us at Fire Data Fire. You can find us at Data Tech Talk. There it is on Twitter. And you can also always find me on LinkedIn. So I hope everybody has a good rest of 23. And let's go out and have some fun in 2024. Everybody stay safe. Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com.